Welcome to the Food Foundation podcast. I'm Faith and I'm one of the Food Foundation's young ambassadors from across the country campaigning for better access to good food for everyone. This week we're at the front line of food insecurity as we visit some of the food banks feeding migrants and asylum seekers who don't have recourse to public funds or NRPF as it's known this Christmas. Food to children, sometimes we escape meal for ourselves. It's very difficult to, you can't even go and tell anyone. We're looking at the key findings of a new report by researchers at the University of Hertfordshire and commissioned by the Food Foundation. You can read the full report at foodfoundation.org.uk but Claire Thompson, one of the authors, explains what she found. I suppose the key finding is really that it's about food But it's not about food. People who experience no recourse to public funds, which is often over months, if not years, um, kind of by force of that status, have very little control over their lives, over their incomes, have very constrained, very limited choices. And the way they experience their food and diet and food poverty is kind of is symptomatic of that. So while they're often engaged in kind of long um, battles and support to try and get um, their status resolved so that they've got some access um, to funds to sort their children's schools out to kind of obtain um, decent housing. So real kind of like basic need stuff. You know, as you can imagine, food gets pushed further and further into the distance in terms of priorities. The report looks at the stories of people who have been trapped in a system that either doesn't allow them to work or doesn't give them access to state support, or both, and that puts them at a risk of food insecurity. To date, there is no data released by the UK government on the extent of food insecurity among these groups. The Food Foundation campaigns for the right of every child in the UK to have access to a healthy diet, and that includes children whose families have come to the UK desperately looking for a safer life. Researchers spent six months earlier this year with 13 families living with NRPF across the UK. They described the pressures of a complicated and lengthy British immigration system while living in hotel rooms or poor quality shared housing. Some have been waiting for just six months, while others for 17 years. With no legal right to work or having to survive on low wages, the picture they paint is pretty bleak. Claire explains how living conditions can make it really hard to feed your family. For a start, they very often haven't got any money to buy the food um, they would want. So they're often reliant on um, the people we spoke to on food banks um, and other sort of food aid organisations. Not short term crisis, tie you over kind of way, months and years kind of way. And some of the food banks are are wonderful um, and they try their absolute best, try and put together culturally appropriate diets, building choice. But it's still not you buying the food you want for your family and your children. People uh, experiencing no recourse to public funds that we spoke to um, lived in London, but we spoke to um, organisations that supported people in that status from from all over. And housing housing's a big issue, as you can imagine. So often people will be um, in shared accommodation, um, and there there might be a shared kitchen, but that shared kitchen, from what we heard, typically isn't very clean or very well maintained or have all the appliances. Um, everyone wants to use it at once if you've all got children. 
Um, you can't necessarily leave your food in there because somebody else will eat it. People make a mess and they don't tidy up. Um, it might not be safe to use it at different times in the day if you're sharing a house with someone who's had a drink or someone you don't trust. Like it can be quite, you know, shared kitchens and bathrooms can be very difficult for people in temporary accommodation. Again, especially if you've got children. And then if you're going in um, to use the kitchen or to do something um, and then bring it back to your kids, where do you leave your kids in the meantime? And are they okay? So there's all those, not just about access to the kitchen, but about basic safety um as well i think food banks have become lifesavers for the millions living in food insecurity and we've met some of the amazing people who run some of them in earlier episodes of the food foundation podcast we've already met juliet from the brighton minority and ethnic community partnership who told us about the importance of culturally appropriate food parcels at food banks in an earlier episode of this podcast called rice peas and plantain She says that for unaccompanied children living in hotels, eating healthy is almost impossible. Here in Brighton, I think we are going to get another three hotels for children. Some of them unaccompanied, but they are just stuck in those hotels. It's really sad to see these children getting stuck in those hotels, which are like prisons. They can't have hot meals. I mean, like, they can't cook for themselves, you know. You see children really struggling because they have just come to this country. Even they don't know. I'll give you an example. Someone was telling us they gave them milk and they put milk in the kettle to boil it. Maybe that's what they do back home. They get their normal kettles, put in milk and boil, and they scream at them, shout at them. So it's a, a very, very big challenge to these young people. They, they are just stuck in there. And we hear those stories like when we meet up with other organizations like, you know, Hummingbird or these other organizations which are working with those uh, refugee uh, children. It's, it's bad. Raven, we care at Kath's place. A food bank in Deptford, East London, sees the same thing happening across the capital. We have people with papers and without papers. And our ethos is not the politics. If we have people in front of us needing help, then we will feed them. We have people from Kurdistan or Afghanistan or Ukrainian refugees or other parts of the world where there's conflict, Eritrea, for example. And increasingly this week, we've just taken over a hotel which is full of Russian asylum seekers, which people aren't aware of, that are arriving at Heathrow Airport and then claiming asylum. Quite often they're in a room in which, even if you want to give them healthy food, they can't cook. If they've only got a kettle, it's very restrictive as to what they can actually cook for a family with children. It's usually pot noodles, it might be boiled eggs. Uh, We can give them fruit and salad, which we try and do as much as we can. But even things like boiling potatoes or carrots is very difficult. While they wait for the decision from the Home Office, many of them help out at the food bank. We do have refugees and asylum seekers that work as volunteers at We Care in our charity shop and with our projects because they have language issues and they want to learn English. These people want to integrate. They have skills we need. They want to work in the workplace, but they find it increasingly difficult and fearful because of the hostile environment to go out 
even to do this interview, many of them are very suspicious of anybody asking questions. They're all terrified of being critical about their living conditions or how they're struggling for fear that their asylum application would be blocked in some shape or form or that they would be sent to a detention centre. So some of them are living in boxes, which you and I would call a box that some people call a hotel room. It's undermining their well-being. Many have skills that we need. We have a British economy in which we have 130,000 jobs at all grades in the NHS, jobs these people could be filling, and yet they're fearful to go out in the street because quite often they're abused. They're fearful to seek help because of the language problems, and they are completely unsure about how long the whole process will take because the government and those in charge just send them to a hotel, give them, in our case, the We Care Cast Place food bank number and leave them to get on with it. And then they just have to wait months and months with no certainty, no security about what decisions may or may not be made. Julia says that people living with NRPF come to her for much more than food. We do get uh, referrals of people who are like asylum seekers, um, uh, who have been rejected by the home office and they are, just, they are so scared to go to other organizations thinking that if they share their information there, then it will be like a problem to them with the home office. And uh, that's the reason why when people are coming here, we don't ask for too much information from them. And we've made it like anybody can come in, not only referrals from professionals. So that one attracts or allows those people to get something to, to eat. Asylum seekers can wait years for a decision from the Home Office and most have no legal right to work whilst their case is pending, leaving them to survive on just £5.83 a day. The impact of food insecurity on children can be devastating. What people don't seem to realise is that many of these children cannot get into schools because if you're in a hotel and you're supposedly only going to be there for a week or two, how can you get a school placement? In our area, of course, we're able to interact with children so we can give them toys that are, you know, drawing books and games that are interactive that can stimulate them in some way. And we give them learning books so that the children and the parents together can learn and teach each other so they have education. Across the UK, most food banks are struggling just to feed the people coming through their door. And when they arrive, they've got one set of clothes, so we give them clothes nappies because if you have a baby or a child how on earth are you going to buy a a, a, a packet of nappies as any mother would know that is completely impossible one of the key findings of the report was the impact of the uncertainty of living with nrpf on the mental health of children i think that perpetual state of uncertainty is massively corrosive for people like it wears them down your mental health and your physical health over time and I mean that's not just restricted to people who experience no recourse to public funds that's a feature of that kind of long-term poverty that people can experience and and having no recourse to public funds is like a variation of that but where you're constantly have um little control over your life and, and in the big things like your housing and, and your income and your work and your benefits, all of those things that give your life structure, your control over them is, is missing to a degree. 
um, and you're constantly fighting for the very the very basics like your diet, your housing, sometimes your physical safety. Um, and that means that everything else just becomes um, stressful, becomes becomes difficult. People spoke about just constantly feeling depressed or anxious or upset and getting like chronic aches and pains. Those type of things people get wonder they're on just ongoing stress and uncertainty. And um, we know from other research with different groups and from talking to this group that that means that things like trying to go to the dentist or uh, worrying about diet and exercise and things like that, thats those are not things people do when they're feeling depressed, when they're feeling upset and when they don't know where they're going to be living in the next week. It just it deprioritises self-care, I suppose, and it corrodes well-being. Juliet is in no doubt what the most common health issue is at the food bank. Uh, it's, it's mental health. To think about what are we eating tonight as a child... You know, you're looking forward to dinner, you're looking forward to lunch or something like that. And then you reach there, what is on the plate? That's not what you want to eat. Sometimes even you don't understand it, you know. They're saying pies, what are pies? You know, they have never even heard about it, you know. So mentally it's affecting them. Leave alone being eating sweets, but mentally wise, those children, they are really, really affected in terms of mental health. And that's a very, very big challenge because... From the system, I mean, from the time they start the journey living where they are coming from to reach here, they are already traumatized. And then when they reach here, the welcome they are getting is is a negative welcome. The food they are eating is not the right food. So all that is just piling and piling. So on that one, even if the system comes out and says, okay, we've granted these children asylum, now they can be the system, they have a lot to work with them to make sure they bring them back to normal, something of that sort. So, yeah, it's a challenge. And some of the stories Juliet hears are desperate. Yeah, the most uh, touching stories I hear is during, like, school holidays. That's when all of them start panicking because when children are going to school, they get free meals at school. But then when they get stuck with them at home, like, I mean, next week, children are going to be off school. So if they come in, everybody's going to be panicking. And they will be like, oh, can you give me more? Can I have like two breads? One is not enough. You know, such things. There is a struggle for them. And uh, one of the moms said, I love my children, but I don't want to be with them. You know, and they will be like opening the fridge is empty. Mom this, mom that. And I don't have anything to feed them. I wish I can get someone. I wish someone can just keep them, who can look after them. It's not because she doesn't want her children, but because she cannot feed her children. The researchers found that navigating the immigration system is complicated, lengthy, and leaves people in a state of uncertainty. Jubeda is a single mum from Bangladesh and has a valid immigration status back now, but she understands how hard it can be to navigate the complexity of the system. I was actually crying at home and um, I was very depressed and didn't know what to do. We give food to children, sometimes we skip meal for ourselves. It's very difficult to, you can't even go and tell anyone. So.
She volunteers now at the Brighton Food Bank and says the Tuesday meetup is a big help with the anxiety she sees all around her. Uh, when I come here, I feel like now is is they are very helpful. It's like it's like you came to the best friend is helping you, and. Um, we get here mental support. We come here on Tuesday for ladies group. If you are home thinking all the time about the, how you're going to pay bill, how you're going to pay, then you are getting all this stress. I had like a lot of uh, anxiety. And so when I come here, I feel my mind is calmer and speaking to this lady. And like two hours, we laugh, we talk, and also downstairs we go, uh, there is a swing, um, they teach. So we are learning basic, like how to use machine and things before we didn't know. And I never been to before with this kind of stuff, so I didn't know. So now, yeah, I come here and <laughs> take food from here also. One of the key findings of the report was the impact of poor quality or insecure housing on the ability to prepare meals. Temporary housing can make it more difficult to buy, prepare and cook healthy food, especially the kind of cultural food that provides comfort and well-being. Juliet makes sure that they get as much food from their homeland as possible. It is very, very important. I mean, even me, if I don't eat my culture food it's like I'm empty you know so it is it is really a challenge and it's also a challenge for us because at the moment what we are buying like our cultural food is expensive it's very expensive to go to Taj and say okay want this and this and this and that as I said it's like going to Waitrose or Max and Spencer that's that's how the prices are the Food Foundation recommends that funding should support families to get the kind of cooking equipment that enables them to use their cooking skills and to make choices about their diet. Mayo Cath's Place reminds us of how feeding strangers is central to so many people's cultures. Food for a lot of refugees is really important. It's a family thing. If any of you have travelled extensively around the Middle East or, or uh, Eritrea or even or, or African countries, you'll know that even as a stranger, you'll be invited into their homes and they will cook for you. Food is the way of people engaging with the wider world. It's a way of sharing what little they have. And it's a way of families coming together together as a unit. So food and the family meal is hugely important, which is why to a certain extent that we think it's really important to give our refugees and our, our clients and asylum seekers healthy food that reflects their roots. So it's not about giving people beans on toast. It's not about giving people shepherd's pie. You need to be sympathetic to the food and the diet that they're used to in their country. With us, it's about trying to have food that reflects their faith, their dietary and health needs, quite often they, don't, they can't read labels. And now I've raised this issue with the Refugee Council that when people come here, people should be given help so that they know what they're eating. So we take all that into account. Our ready meals reflect the spices and the herbs that they're used to and familiar with, but also that can just be heated up in a plastic bag within a kettle. And so that way it's cheap for them to heat it up, it's nourishing and it's also sustainable as a meal option to give them some sense of home and well-being. 
Claire Thompson says it would help the whole family's well-being. Um, the children who exercise some choice over their food and help with food um, purchasing decisions and household food as they get older, which is natural. And of course, in that situation, very often they can't. Um, and if the family is new to the UK, the children will want to eat culturally appropriate foods that they're used to, and often they can't access them. Again, food aid um, organisations do their best but a lot of it is um, tin food and, and people from certain parts of the world and cultures aren't familiar with tin food, find it very difficult to eat, makes them feel ill. And that's going to be, whereas an adult, you know, maybe you can go, oh, I've just got to eat it. There's nothing else I can do. Like you can't do that to a five-year-old. They don't get it. So it can be um, not just not having enough to eat, but it can be really distressing as well because you're trying to kind of coax your children into eating various things. And if, um, I mean, loads of kids go through a picky eating phase, that's quite normal. So you've got to go through a picky eating phase when you haven't necessarily got access to the foods you feel comfortable with and food and money is really scarce. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work for parents. And as Claire says... The weight of responsibility for feeding the children healthily with food that reminds them of who they are often falls on the mothers. Mothers will often act as a, a buffer for their children in terms of diet. So when they get a food bank parcel or some donated food or whatever food they can afford, they'll pick out the best bits for their children, the things they know that their children will eat. Um, and then they'll have whatever looks not so good or what's left over or, you know, sometimes nothing at all. The Food Foundation wants a healthy start voucher scheme to be made permanent and to actively promote access to it among families with no recourse to public funds. We want the government to provide local authorities with the resources they need to ensure families with no recourse to public funds get the support they need. And that includes accommodation with adequate kitchen and cooking facilities for asylum seekers. And we want the government to collect data to establish real levels of food insecurity among families and individuals with NRPF. Claire Thompson explains why it matters. It matters because of issues of social justice and marginalisation. And, you know, we live in a, in a fairly unequal society and, and, and the pressures and the crises we've got on at the moment, it's well documented that that's going to get more unequal. Um, and people experiencing no recourse to public funds are so marginalised. You know, even if benefits um, are considered not to be adequate, what about the people who can't even get access to benefits? You know, what happens to them, especially when they're facing um, like additional layers of marginalisation, like language and culture, where they might not already feel part of things? You know, food is something we all love and, and respect, but it also means something that when we share it with people in crisis, we have to make sure we give them the right type of food because negative food has a negative impact on the children's aspirations and educational advancement. It has terrible impact on women who quite often go without food to make sure their children are eating. And it also has a very negative impact on all of us because all these people, if they're sick and all the issues that go with it, obesity, then those people will end up at the NHS. And we all know what a crisis the NHS is. And so adding a food crisis on top is one that we need to avoid. I would love to see a soft, welcoming system welcoming immigrants they shouldn't label everybody as an economy immigrant 
They shouldn't. They should have a clear system on how to apply asylum. You know, so we need a clear welcoming system for immigrants. They should have a clear screening for these people. And they should support the young people or the children or those parents who come here with their children as asylum seekers to access the right food, right accommodation, right education. A healthy diet remains out of reach for far too many people on low incomes in the UK. We need to change the way we support families with NRPF. Food insecurity shouldn't be a thing in the sixth richest economy in the world. You can support the campaign to remove the NRPF condition by writing to your MP. Please go to foodfoundation.org.uk where you can read our recommendations. Click on recent reports and go to immigration policy and food insecurity in the UK. Thank you for listening.